Frank. How's it going, buddy? Hey, James. Everything's going good. How are things? You're off in a conference right now, aren't you? I am. I'm at Microsoft Ignite. Ooh, Ignite. Is that a conference or is that like a, a, de- a demo place? Like, what do you do? A show floor? What do they call it, those? <laughs> so this used to be TechEd. Do you remember TechEd? Oh, I remember the name. Mm-hmm. It used to be <laughs> TechEd and a bunch of other conferences. They merged them together. Now there's like 25 or 30,000 people all embarked on Orlando, oh Florida. Yeah, that is a lot of people. Wow. Okay. So not exactly a conference, but um, got some developers there. I assume you're presenting anything fun. I'm presenting. I did a general session with the one and only Scott Hanselman this morning. I don't know if you've heard of him. Oh, fun. So was it all just an improv session or did you actually have a script? I could, I could so, see you guys just improving for 30 minutes. That'd be fun. So the fun thing about Scott, so it was about five different people on stage. So Scott brought his friends up on stage to have some demos and a conversation. And the fun part is that Scott stayed on stage the entire time and kind of you know, ask questions, kind of, you know, was the voice of the audience in a way, uh, which was really fun. So we would have side dialogues, crack jokes. And there was a lot of impromptu in that session because we did practice. It was, you know, about 2,000, 3,000 people in the room. So pretty big. And hmm. um, there was a whole, you know, like crew ahead of time and, you know, a whole bunch of it was like big. It was pretty, pretty, pretty big deal. And, uh, the, you know, the day before we did a full run through and completely different jokes, completely different everything, you know, when you do it live, <laughs> which is fun. So that was a, yeah. a good time. And I tweeted some photos of the room and Sebastian was on stage, uh, who was mono of the month a few months ago on my, on my newsletter. And that was really fun. So <laughs> it was a good time, but the conference is so big. It is mostly it related. So there's a lot of SharePoint and office and Azure, but still a lot of dev uh... stuff too. All that stuff I don't know anything about. You know, somehow in my career, I've I've always done kind of Microsoft-related technologies, but I've avoided the SharePoint. I've avoided pretty much all the enterprise stuff. I remember installing, uh, like, Windows Server every so often, going into... Oh, I forget. I see. I don't even know, know the names of the apps anymore, but just being lost in like the admin tools. Like I do not know anything about IT. It turns out I thought I knew computers, but I don't know IT. So I'd be a little bit lost at that conference. Yeah, it, it's over the years now that I've gone to Ignite a few years, I would say that it's shifting a bit because IT is becoming a little bit more Devi and Dev has to worry about IT a little bit more. How do we spin up servers? How do we scale? How do we talk to the back end? So they sad. start to sad, but <laughs> true. Yeah, they, they start to blend and then you need to speak each other's lingo a little bit more. You just can't go, oh, IT, go spin up, blah, 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 or handle whatever. But we're the ones dealing with Active Directory, with login, with, you know, like I said, spinning mm-hmm. up servers. So uh, the Dev Prevent. Uh, the dev amount of people is is a lot a higher proportion, I believe, this year, which is really cool. So there's a lot more dev sessions and beautiful expo space. So a lot of .NET is there, Visual Studio, VS Code, the machine learning, a lot mm. of Azure. So there's some crossover between this and Build, but it's a lot bigger because it's just crazy. It's it's See, I don't know. I- I thought Build was kind of ridiculously big, so I really can't imagine this. Maybe I'll have to go to it next time. I mean, it sounds kind of overwhelming, too. And I think I'm catching a hint of that in your voice. But at the same time, maybe just once, you know, 
got to go yeah. once, like CES or something. It's it's like any of them. Yeah, it's it's almost when you walk into the expo hall, it's reminiscent of PAX in a way, just or mm-hmm. uh, or E3 in a way. It's just so many lights and so many things happening. So it's it's pretty pretty cool in general. They they definitely have a lot better layout this year in Orlando. There's a lot less walking all over the place, but you got to fit thirty thousand people somewhere, and the Orlando Conference Center is pretty great. Um, but yeah, I'm here in beautiful Orlando, Florida. The humidity is 185,000%. So that's great. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Uh, so I did uh, summer in New York and that was a high humidity all the time too. So I really do feel for you. It's it's kind of incredible when you sweat everywhere that you go. Kind of yes. terrible. But it sounds like a lot of uh, people I follow on Twitter are also there. So it's at least a popular conference. Hopefully. I mean, you said you got to hang out with Scott a little bit. Hopefully you find some other of your friends, online yeah. friends there. We had, uh, today we had uh, Cecil and Jessica and Seth Juarez and, whole, and the whole crew. Scott Hunter's here. Uh, Kendra's fun. here. I mean, everyone's, you know, a lot of people are here. So it's a lot of fun. But I'll tell you what else is fun, dropping. Frank. <laughs> yeah, a lot of, What's a lot of that? <laughs> So we got our new iPhone. Oh, okay. I, I like how you said we there, because I think we covered quite clearly that you did not get an iPhone, but you, you've been allowed to touch said iPhone. Is that uh, right? I did. We we got the iPhone XS, uh, mm-hmm. the 10s, if you will. Tennis. Like, I, tennis. The tennis. We got the tennis ball. And yeah, so we we got it and it was quite entertaining because Apple had special things where UPS couldn't just leave it at the door. They you had to have a special form and all this stuff. So a lot of oh, people no. were, yeah, a lot of people were at UPS picking up their phone uh, if they oh, did not. Yeah, I've had to do that a couple times. I, I always hate it. I, I feel like it's a sad trombone moment. You know, I download yeah. the app and play it just because that's how I feel. I got lucky the last couple times though. So hopefully, hopefully my UPS person will be cool. Yeah, I we went and picked it up and. You know, Heather is not quite a she's not she was a little upset that I got her the phone, but then she was like, okay with it after she started taking photos, which the camera is really great. Uh, She was upset. Oh, that's sad. But (laughs) I'm glad she came around. (laughs) I think she was she was happy and a little like not mad necessarily, but she was like, I didn't. What did I do to deserve this? Right. Why did you buy this? I was like, I I said, I said, this was it. I go, well, I wanted you to really take great photos. She's like, I have a camera. I go, yeah, but for life moments, you know, where Mm -hmm. you're just there. And I said, more than anything, I have a really great camera now, which is something Android phones didn't have for a long time. And I go, not that your iPhone 6S doesn't have a great camera, but it's not at the same level. So I'm like, if we're creating collaborative photo, you know, things, uh, Hmm. you know, uh, albums, I would be great if the, you know, the photography in it was very similar. So uh, that's what we did. I I didn't know you were that uh, particular. Wow. I never would have imagined that about you. But you're like, oh, these are too low res. They're too noisy. We, We can't put these in the photo album. They're just yeah. garbage. Well, you Is know that right think, how you feel. <laughs> I mean, not, not exactly, but you know, if yeah. we think about the next, you know, ten years or whatever, what you know, it's be good to look back and have better. If you can get better yes. photos faster, that's what I wanted. But she, <laughs> she reluctantly turned on Face ID, and uh, I think she's converted now into it because she was going to hold off, and then after about thirty minutes of having to enter her PIN, she goes, "Up, oh, no, I can't do this anymore." <laughs> so i guess the test will be if she goes back to the six but are, are you just gonna hide it in a drawer so like out of sight out of mind or do you think she's already a convert 
Oh, she's converted. Every single day, okay. she's told me that she loves the phone. Like, legitimately today, she's like, I love this phone so much. Okay. Uh, yeah. She, okay. she she did have to buy a case for it, though. Mm, cheating. I yeah. like them when they're slippery. It teaches you to be thoughtful in your life. <laughs> she bought the, the thinnest, like, it's not even a bumper at all. It's like a really thin plastic see-through case, because I got her the gold one, which is very pretty. But that phone is so slippery. It is it is legitimately the most slippy, slippery <laughs> yeah. phone in the entire world. I She's like, I don't trust myself. I concentrate hardest in my life is uh, when I'm holding this phone in my hand. That's when all my attention is on control of it. But then you can get those, uh, uh, if you have a case on it, you can get those funny circle things where everyone's gluing to the back of their phones. Oh, that's true. What are all the kids doing? What are they called? I should learn this. They're like pop things, circle pop. Pop things. Pop, it's pop called things. a pop thing. Yeah. So she can get a pop thing. Yeah. That's cool. So So I'm excited. I don't have mine yet. It'll come someday. I forgot to actually order on time. So <laughs> it'll arrive sometime. Shame. Mm-hmm. Well, probably by the next time we record, it'll be October. Hopefully you'll have it by then. So I should have it tomorrow, sir. We Beautiful. just recorded a little bit too early. Just well, keeping this evergreen. <laughs> my early review is thumbs up on it. It looks like an iPhone, acts like an iPhone, and heck, you know what? It is an iPhone. Uh, and you know, iOS twelve. It looks and feels like iOS twelve. I still don't know how to use it. I was I was at the dress rehearsal, and I was trying to enter like my my username and password into one of the fields, and and one of the one of the individuals was like, "Give me that phone. You can't. You can't. You're, like, we, you're obviously clearly not an iPhone person." Because I was trying to like. Exit out of apps. I couldn't like I was it was embarrassing. Uh, It was bad. (laughs) Oh, that's so funny. Okay, well, it gets even weirder uh, when you're new to face ID because you're like, I'm in this app. How do I get out of apps? And you just stare at the screen for a little while. You're like, well, I'll just turn it off and hopefully I can get out of the app that way. Yeah, It just it takes a little bit of learning, but uh, you should have had a button. So you should have been all right. But I'll I'll just laugh at you. I think I can handle an Android. I don't, I'm not too ridiculous when I use an Android. I Maybe can I handle. Am. I can handle iOS. I'm an iOS developer. I can handle it, but <laughs> it's not as comfortable. I would say. Oh, I mean, I was an iPhone X that I had. So the swiping and getting out because now Android has the whole. They're very similar, but it was hard for me to like exit an app. Like I exited the app, but then to get back in, like fully exit an app, was very kind of difficult. So does that mm-hmm. make sense? Yeah, well, especially nowadays with the face ID, you got to do this funny J motion to get to the task manager now. Yeah. And everyone has their own trick, uh, excuse me, trick to doing it their own way. And so it's even hard to communicate p- to people. You're just like, keep practicing. You'll get it. You'll get it. You can do it. <laughs> well, like, thanks, Apple. Yeah. And iOS 12 is there. It's totally their thing. And and uh, Heather's not super impressed, but it's there. Um. And yeah, that's my iPhone review. Uh, It's pretty good. It's a phone. Awesome. Great review. It's one better than iOS 11. Come on. Mm -hmm. And you can actually quit apps quicker. They fixed a little annoying bug there. So that's nice. (laughs) But you know what I'm looking forward to is mine. So I can have all those neural network cores in the little new X. I'm excited for them. I'm excited for all this processor capability in the new phone. So... Okay, so what is the new thing? Is there special APIs to unlock this? So by the way, for anyone listening, we're not just going to talk about the iPhone X the entire time. We're done. We're done it, on it's that. It's over. That, that was yeah. Frank's transition, by the way, into let's talk about hmm. something real in coding world. 
after well, tw- you had 20 to minutes. call it out, so it was a really bad transition. Yeah. But I tried. I tried. You did good. You did You did good. You've almost fooled me. I was like, is he transitioning right now? I think he's transitioning. <laughs> so are there APIs to unlock these special TPU processor cores? I'm glad you asked, James. Yes, there are. And I thought it would be fun to take a little episode and talk about them because I'm excited by them. I'm not sure if anyone else will be. I'm hoping hopefully all of our listeners will be. But particularly some new APIs were introduced that kind of hit my sweet spot of things that I I like in particular. And uh, they're a part of the framework called Metal Performance Shaders. Do you know about these at all in iOS? I know about metal. Uh, metal mm-hmm. gets you. It's like uh, where are you coding at? I'm I'm coding to the metal. Uh, <laughs> sure. <laughs> so metal, I usually know from creating high performance graphic intense applications. So metal two came out. I want to say with iOS eleven. That sounds correct. Mm, sure. Sounds good. Yep. Let's go with that. And it's it gives you near direct access to the GPU. A lot of the stuff we do is on the CPU, but if you're doing really graphical or computational intensive applications, such as machine learning or games mm-hmm. or other things, you want to get access to metal. In fact, I believe that seeing AI uses a lot of uh, metal commands to do their machine learning models and a bunch of other things at a low level uh, API service. I remember them talking about how they were using a lot of those low level uh, machine learning things. So I, you know, was looking here and what's new in metal two. Am I wrong? Is, is metal two iOS 12? It is iOS 12. So sorry, pardon me that I thought that metal two is in. Well, iOS metal's 11. been around. Oh, okay. Metal's been around for a while. We we switched to it. Uh, Metal 2, it doesn't actually seem like they changed too much. I'm not sure why I got the version bump. But you nailed it. it it's uh, their low-level framework for accessing the GPU. And potentially the uh, neural chips that they're adding onto the phone that I was alluding to earlier. So I'm not exactly sure um, if these... In particular, the metal kit can work with those also if that's the transport. But definitely, this is how Apple prefers that you access the GPU. So much so that they're deprecating OpenGL. Mm. We mentioned that before, and I still roll my eyes at it a little bit because it's OpenGL. It's lovely. Don't deprecate that. But this is what you're supposed to use. So that's metal. Now, metal performance shaders are a little bit higher level code that executes using Metal. And this is a really umbrella framework that Apple's released. And it has a bunch of things in it, but the ones that I'm particularly interested in are uh, the machine learning bits and a ray tracer. So back to graphics. So we'll we'll talk about that a little bit toward the end. But um, this is how Apple has been going about executing their um, models with Core ML. Core ML is an even higher level API on top of these middle performance shaders. So it's this funny middle in between area. It's not low level like metal. It's above that, but it's below Core ML. And they've been here for a while. So is it so low level that it's almost that I'm developing in C++ almost at a level? Like, is there some weird (laughs) intermediate C++ level because I'm so low to the metal that that's how I have to code? Or how does this work? I wouldn't even think about it that way. The low levelness comes in that you kind of have to understand 
how the GPU works and that there's a commanding system and how multi-threading works for it in the queuing system and all that, and then what you're allowed to execute on there. So low level, and there's another big issue, which is the API is absolutely terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's low level in that regards. You know, um, this is not a beautiful UI kit here. This is medium level code that's terrible to program against does that qualify yeah that makes sense i'm i'm actually looking at a lot of the neural networks apis which would be inside of mps image mps temporary image and then i'm looking inside of here there's filters images state nodes yeah and and i see like mps cnn kernel and uh, uh mps nn filter node like these are very (laughs) weird names for i guess neural network Yeah, well, let me run down this, actually. This is uh, why I'm so excited. So Metal Performance Shaders has had neural network support for a while. Like I said, that's how CoreML was running. But it was the inference pass, what we call it. um, I've already trained a neural network, and I just want to run it. And so that's what they supported. Load up a model and execute that model. That's what all the Metal Performance Shaders supported. But the cool thing is in iOS 12, new, is that you can actually do training on the device also. So all that metal performance shader stuff now supports this technique called gradient descent. It doesn't really matter other than it's training. I can train neural networks right on the device and hopefully have a GPU and hopefully neural neuron, whatever, neural engine supported. <laughs> Ah, so you could at that point take not only advantage of the GPU, but also take advantage of that new neural network chip that was in the new iPhone X uh, S, for instance. Yeah, I actually I don't want to talk out of place here because it's a little unclear in the documentation um, which code actually accesses those little neural bits. I don't know if the training part would, but certainly execution. Apple's really proud of that. So maybe the training part would only run on the GPU, which is fine. It's a big GPU. (laughs) You know, these phones are quite powerful. Uh, But I think the inference, the forward pass, the working with an already trained model would run on there. Is there a specific reason that I would use these metal performance? It's a weird name that it's metal performance shaders because when I think of shaders, I think of game shaders that are doing you know, manipulation to an image or to textures or scrolling things or, you know, doing a bunch of work like that. So to me, it's really odd that it's named shaders in general. Um, and yeah, so it's it's funny. It's it's just a holdover, though. It's mm. um, metal definitely was designed for the GPU. And it's just a terminology that the programs that you write that execute on the GPU are called shaders. We always had fragment shaders and vertex shaders. Uh. And people have geometry shaders now in OpenGL3. But uh, with Metal, things got a little weird because it became more like OpenCL in that you could write basically a general purpose C program in there, actually using a few features of C++ too. Uh, So you could develop whole programs in there. It's just kind of funny that a compiled program running on the GPU is called a shader. It's just a fallout of history. And so Apple's got this umbrella term, metal performance shaders, which is just another way of saying a whole bunch of programs. Here's a here's a bunch of algorithms you can use to do stuff. Good I luck. see. I see. So 
since it's not the most elegant thing, is that why they built Core Core ML? So they built Core ML on top of this, so it's a prettier, very specific machine learning API. Yeah, absolutely. So once you have a trained model, you want to use Core ML to execute it because, well, there's even libraries higher level than that, like the Vision Library, which interfaces with the camera. So you could have the camera talking to Core ML, which itself is talking to the performance shaders or the neural engine. Now, Apple does have another library called Create ML, and that uses the new features, the new training features of Metal, the new bits that were added in. Um, what's the new Mac called? Mojave? Mojave. It? it just came out. Yes. It, just, it came out like today <laughs> yeah. or tomorrow. I don't know, something like that. Yeah, I'll install it someday <laughs> when I'm ready. Uh, but it uses the the new training features that I was mentioning that I'm really excited about uh, to uh, help you develop models locally on your own machine. So if you have a data set on your own machine, you can use Create ML to do kind of like that custom vision AI thing, that Microsoft demo, that's all done in the cloud, but here you can do it on your machine. And that's using the Metal Performance shaders down, down low, low level. This is all mind boggling to me. My mind is not only fried <laughs> from the conference, but like I'm reading through the documentation of just not only, you know, core ML, which I, I quite understand, but all, all the things that are inside of metal, because when I thought of metal, I always go, oh, it's only for games. That's what I thought of right. when they demoed it. It's like, oh, I would only ever use this for games. I wouldn't use it to do stuff. But for me, the the problem that we always had, by the way, was that you could only really create models in custom vision AI or a bunch of Python scripts or a bunch of other things. But it seems as if since this Metal 2 API unlocks this machine learning training that's accelerated uh, by, it says it does use the GPU uh, in the documentation, but that was maybe before the iPhone XS was announced, uh, mm. that, yeah. that perhaps you know, things not only on Mac, but on iOS are going to allow us to iteratively train our models in real time on the device um, that's on there, yeah. which is mind boggling. Yeah. And it's a feature I've always wanted. And I think it's just because I'm kind of cheap and I never want to pay for servers and, you know, hosting things and putting them up there. I always figure, well, if people are carrying around computers in their hands, then let's use the computing part of that computer. Let's just do it. But um, I actually had a friend I was talking to this about, and he asked kind of directly, like, but why train on the device? Like, what what particular use cases are there? And it's funny, like, because, you know, the cloud does work for the majority of things. In general, it is easy to just train a model and then deploy it to a bunch of devices. But um, the big one for me was anything that deals with personal data is maybe something you don't feel like uploading to the cloud or don't want to have to go upload to the cloud. So um, any app that learns your behavior in email, you know, tries to predict what you would type in email, all that stuff feels like it's just perfect to be local on the device and not shared anywhere. I also think about like fun things too, like video games. I would love if opponents in video games could learn from you. They learn your maneuvers. They learn you like to do this after that. And they learn how to attack you from different directions and all that. And these are kind of like, I don't know. I just think of fun little things that you can do when you have a little neural network that you can train on the device. 
Yeah, there's 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 definitely instances where it doesn't need to always go to the cloud or always doesn't need to be exported. And, and it's not for everyone. It's very certain around you and yourself. You're not using that model for other people, because in the video game scenario, you are building and creating this, you know, you know, AI, you know, basically mm-hmm. for yeah. the, the user of the game. And that's the only thing that's of important. And you want to do it really fast because you also don't want to cause any hiccups in your 60 frames per second game. <laughs> sure, sure. Or you're just cheap and don't want to have a server up there, right? Oh, or that. Or <laughs> that. Otherwise, you have to stream all the data up to it and have it do all its inference. Do you think that they yeah. opened up this API because they were using stuff similar already? When you think of, uh, say, Face ID, which we just talked about, that has to use machine learning to actively always constantly update You know who you are. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, they definitely have to retrain networks. And they're very clever on how they do it. You're, you're never retraining the full network. You're just retraining the little last bits of it. So the network has a general idea of what a face looks like, what a human looks like. It's only the particulars of your face that it needs to learn. So that's a good example. I was going to mention another thing, but it doesn't quite qual- qualify as training. But um, did you notice that the new portrait mode on the iPhone ten? R is that the, yeah R it doesn't have the dual camera and therefore I can't do the depth map to do the portrait mode in camera but what they're doing now is they're using a neural network to figure out the depth information instead of actually using a physical camera and it's just clever so that's not actually training and <laughs> they don't need to train there that's just forward execution but it's just another fun use and you can definitely see Apple's just kind of all in on neural networks and AIs just doing as much as they can. It took it took them a year. I think they might be a year behind Google when Google came out really strong with AI. A few years ago, they wanted to AI infuse everything. But at the same mm-hmm. time, you know, they all are, are all they're all in. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how they evolve this and evolve the APIs for developers, because at the same time, they have, seem to have some of the best signed kind of APIs to not only build and train, but get down to these low levels. Uh, Well, Frank, uh, I do want to talk a little bit more about metal because I know nothing about metal and you know more things. And you mentioned a few other things, but let's take (laughs) a quick break here and thank our sponsor this week. Back yet again, our good friends over at SyncFusion. SyncFusion is an amazing company with an amazing product to help you build better products better, prettier, optimized products, and to help learn from them. They have both a developer platform and a data platform. So let me talk about the dev platform first. SyncFusion has a developer platform with over a thousand custom components and frameworks and controls for WinForms, WPF, ASP.NET, UWP, Xamarin, JavaScript, Angular, Vue, and React. They support them all. You can simply install a package and immediately have charts, graphs, optimized data grids, list views, file format um, support for Excel, PDF, Word, and PowerPoint. They do all of it with great, beautiful controls. They also have a powerful dashboard platform. You can tie in your own data sources so you can constantly monitor the status of your own products. So if you have, let's say, sales, you can bring in charts and graphs and drag and drop these different components reading into your own data system. So not only can you build beautiful applications with all their controls, but bring all that data back about your business so you can visualize what's happening in your business quick. So where do you go to learn more? Well, simply go to syncfusion.com 
slash merge conflict. It's sync, S-Y-N-C, fusion.com slash merge conflict to learn more and check out their free community edition if you have open source projects where you can get all the stuff for free, which is great. And they have great low pricing for everything else that I mentioned today. So go to syncfusion.com slash merge conflict. And thanks for Syncfusion for sponsoring this episode of the pod. Thanks, Syncfusion. Thanks, Syncfusion. Do you like how I call it? The pod. Yeah, that was actually pretty exciting. I, I like that ad. That was a good one. That was a good one. Good read. Good read. <laughs> I, I come Nailed up, it. <laughs> nailed it. Come up with that all by myself. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, uh, I do want to reiterate, the API is terrible for all this stuff. Um, so I'm sorry for everyone out there. I'm hoping that once Xamarin has it fully bound, I hope to actually write a library to make kind of training on the device a little easier because I don't even want to use this API. I watched the WWDC video. I know a lot about this stuff at this point, and I'm still just like, oh my God, looking at all the code that you have to write to do some of the most basic things. <laughs> so it's just like, oh, this is going to be terrible well, <laughs> like, I, for all my ideas. I saw a demo today by Seth, who was demoing ML.net, and we've talked about it a little bit in the past. It has a mm-hmm. relatively straightforward API for doing things. I'm curious yeah. if we could like bring in ml.net and like abstract that over some of the other, you know, iOS or Android specific platforms, you know? Absolutely. I I was kind of thinking along those lines myself. Yep. So I have to look at the APIs, see how they expose things, see if we can play in the same land. But I I like that a lot because unified APIs are where you want to be. And all of this work, everyone uses different libraries, different language versions on different operating systems with different graphics hardware. It's a really messed up world. That's why I'm kind of enjoying, this is where I get to be snooty and be like, I have a Mac and I use iOS devices. (laughs) (laughs) Because this this metal metal stuff, these metal performance shaders work on Mac and iOS. Mm -hmm. So finally, I have a unified API that I can work with that I know is accessing the hardware in an efficient way. So I want this just on the Mac side too, not just the iOS side. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, so you could really make it fully cross-platform between Windows and iOS and Mac. And I don't know, I think there's some stuff for Android out there. I need to look to see what they're there doing. There definitely is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they have TensorFlow over there. And so it would just be a matter of um, working with TensorFlow. Miguel's got his... Oh, bell ring. Ding. Miguel has TensorFlow Sharp, that library. So it could use something like that as the low-level library oh, there you in go. the same way. Cool. Yeah. Fun, fun imagining the future work, huh? Yes. <laughs> well, there's just one more part to this I just want to bring out because we were talking about graphics and they added one other funny algorithm to the metal performance shaders. And that is they tried to speed up ray tracing. Now, in all your gaming graphics career, have you done much with ray tracing? I have not done too much with ray tracing. I understand what ray tracing is in general. Uh, I may not have been con- in control of this point. You know, the the games that I did were more top-down shooters. So the camera was very much fixed down. I didn't necessarily have to work mm. with shadows all that much or... Um, how things hit different geometry on the the scene. Now, for me, though, what there's probably different types of ray tracing that occurs, but this is all about like intersections where things intersect. So the most common example would be where light hits an object and then the shadow is casted on the ground. Is that an accurate 
yeah thing absolutely yep and in the early days uh when computers weren't very good at all this we would really try to limit the number of intersections because what you would do is for every pixel on the screen you would shoot out a ray and see what it intersects if it intersects the red box then you draw a red pixel if it intersects the blue box you draw a blue pixel it's actually a really straightforward and elegant algorithm it's easy to implement easy to think about but you quite quite quickly find out just how much math and how much CPU time it takes to calculate all those intersections. And so back in the day, we would do like two intersections. But modern stuff, to make ray tracing really look good, you want to shoot out 30 rays for every pixel and every for every one of those intersections maybe you want to shoot out 30 of those uh, 30 more rays from those so you have this real exponential growth in the number of uh, intersection tests that you're doing when you write a ray tracer but they're kind of worth it because ray tracings are gorgeous yeah even the little uh, sample application they have for ray tracing and they have light samples and putting it down. This API looks a little bit more straightforward, by the way, than the other metal yeah, API. Yeah, but the, it is. <laughs> the question is, why, why wouldn't I just use like scene kit to do something for me like this? No. Well, this is the fundamental uh, difference in rendering techniques. So scene kit is a rasterizing render where you draw triangles and you say there's a blue triangle here and there's a few light sources in the scene. Here's an environment environment map. Let's color that triangle and a texture maps and all that stuff. It's your very classic game engine. It's how we've been writing all game engines ever since Quake, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing's changed. (laughs) Uh, We run on the GPU. That's, That's the big difference these days. But it's a fundamentally different algorithm than ray tracing in that you're looking at triangles and drawing them to the screen. In ray tracing, you're really thinking about light transport through the scene. And so things that like reflections are very easy and elegant in ray tracing. But I don't know if you remember doing reflections and rasterizers, but they're a pain in the butt. You got to do cube maps and specular things and lights. Remember all that? You have to do math. A lot of math. (laughs) Well, there's there's still a lot of math with ray tracing, but it really gets down to reflections and color bleeds. So if you have a white cube in a room, it doesn't actually look white when you look at it. It picks up all the colors of all the things around it. And it's really hard to represent that in game engines. They've gotten more and more sophisticated with multi-pass rendering and doing this and that. But even scene kit, if I add more than eight lights to the scene, it stops using the ninth light or the 10th. It can only handle up to eight lights. Whereas ray tracing, it really doesn't matter how many lights you have in the scene. That's not your limiting factor. So you can just put in 10,000 lights and everything will light up the way it should. So it's just, it has efficiencies where the other one doesn't. There's trade-offs, pros and cons. Got it. This makes logical sense. And they actually walk through in this demo about the light source and the types of intersections and rays that you're using. They have primary rays, shadow rays, and secondary rays. And I love this sample, by the way, because if you know nothing about ray tracing, you can easily follow the the photo because there's two boxes in the room and one is larger than the other and there's a light right overhead so the first one is this primary ray and the primary ray says it's going to render this image that's equivalent to an image rendered by a rasterizer and this primary ray 
simply computes shadows at the nearest intersection. So you would assume that the shadow, the the kind of, let's say the boxes are all gray. Well, if the side that's furthest away from the light source, that'll be the darkest side because it's furthest away yeah. from the light. So the light can't see that side. This is like real life when you go around and it's dark on that corner, then you don't see it as much. But whatever's right under the light is more lit up. Then they talk about the the second part, which is the shadows, which are shadow rays. And this is more of an intersection. So it has to look at the intersections of the primary and what's underneath it at this point. So now you can see the shadows drop down. This is like an amazing example. I mm-hmm. love it. Um, <laughs> and so it's the intersection point of the light source um, to where the light like doesn't reach. So you, you see it boom go down. And then the last part that they show is the secondary rays, which is super cool because you start to think about it is they have the walls colored um, red, white, and green. And mm-hmm. how light works, if you look around your room, like if you just look around, even if my wall is white, it, it's not 100% white. Like no. light hits it. No. <laughs> the the box that's bright red reflects down. And some of that red, guess what, comes down into the, the floor or onto the wall or wherever the light is reflecting from all different angles as you move around it. So now not only do we have the kind of different brightness of all the corners. You have the shadows that are down and then the shadows and the sides of the boxes have pick up these red, green and white aspects to really create a really accurate representation of what you're going to see in real life. And these are all super optimized on the GPU. How did I do it? Ex- explaining the three different rays. I loved it. That that was excellent. I could have listened to that forever. That that was so much fun. You just got real uh, excited, I, didn't you? You're like, wow, I was getting <laughs> I was nerdy. Like, Keep going, James. Keep going. Yeah, pretty good. I could talk about ray tracers all day. But uh, you mentioned shadows, and that's probably like one of the things that they're best at. They if doing games, creating shadows, and a rasterizing engine are always a pain. It takes a lot more math and a bunch of stuff. So much so that a lot of games have shadows pre baked in before the game ships. They actually run a ray tracer in the game editor, bake all that into these light maps, and then ship the light maps into the game because it's too hard to do all that math with a rasterizer. But with a ray tracer, it just happens. When it's you, magic. When you hear like dynamic shadowing, dynamic lighting, these are the things that are going into it. Yeah. And these are the things that are actually cheap in ray tracing. That's what's so much fun about it is it can do so much with such a simple algorithm. The, the problem is always just quality. It's for every pixel, you got to shoot out a billion rays and do a billion intersections. So it's always just the, the problem scales nicely with the number of pixels you're trying to display. But you can see why people want to GPU accelerate this. It's easily parallelizable, but parallelizable, <laughs> but <laughs> but it's still just a lot of a lot of compute, a lot of power needed. Oh, I, I, I want to actually bring this back to neural networks, mm. but you, you tell me why it's important oh, first. I just thought the biggest thing is that it's really starting to get important because if you are building games or maybe you were using Oprah, other OpenGL frameworks, and we had mentioned this before, that OpenGL ES is deprecated. So you probably want to start moving to some of these metal APIs and you're like, oh, but I was doing these things. Well, now they're built in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you can do so many tricks nowadays. And 
honestly, I think we're kind of ready for that next stage in games graphics. We've taken rasterizers about as far as they're going to go. So it's going to be more fun to see more generative artwork and things enabled by ray tracers. I like that. Just a distinguishing factor. I want to bring this back to uh, why train neural networks on the device. Now, this is going to get a little nerdy. I'm going to see if I can explain this well. I, I haven't done a good job in the past. <laughs> but there's a, <laughs> there's a funny neural network out there. And it, it has a great name, noise to noise. So it takes a noisy image and it generates a noisy image. Mm. And you're like, that's, that's a terrible network. <laughs> Why would you ever want a network that can do that? <laughs> and it, it, they're taking advantage of a funny thing that happens with these image to image networks in that they all kind of accidentally kind of blur the image a tiny bit and they don't even blur it they just kind of smooth it out smooth it out is a better word because edges still stay edges but noisy bits become smoother mm. they, they just do that it's actually been frustrating a lot of people because they want the noisy bits and so that smoothing has been a problem but these really smart people i think they're from google or mit you know one of those smart people places <laughs> they figured out that this kind of like intrinsic thing that networks do they just can't help it that's what they do is actually really useful and one of the examples is denoising photography mm. so if i if i'm taking a picture and it got some noise in it for you know whatever reasons the sensor the light a million things can create noise uh, this network, given a few examples, can learn how to denoise these images better than any kind of denoiser you've ever seen. Mm. So it can create these gorgeous images from that. So that's a fun use of this network. But <laughs> what they also discovered was these ray tracers. Now, I was mentioning for every pixel you want to shoot out lots of rays, you can control that number. For every pixel I could shoot out one ray, it'll have a certain quality to it, the image will have a quality, or I could shoot out a thousand rays and the image will look better. And the difference between those two images, if you were just to be shown them without knowing what's going on or anything, you would say that first image is actually kind of noisy compared to the last one. So you see where I'm going with this? Yeah. yeah, so you can run your ray tracer in kind of a low quality mode, like only shoot out a few rays and that keeps your compute burden lighter or you can render more objects and then use a neural network to actually smooth out and supplement the image to create the high resolution version mm. of it and this is actually a technique that google has demonstrated and it works it works very well and it's ridiculous and awesome interesting so do you think that's and that's what they're probably using on the xr then no, n nothing this sophisticated, no. but someday like things will catch up to this point. This is a pretty one-off. I haven't seen anything this sophisticated by anyone else, but these are the kinds of tricks that definitely will be happening, especially with video games. Uh, photorealism is going to come to video games via neural networks. We're, we can't texture map the world. It's, it's too hard to figure out, but we can train neural networks on pictures of the world. And so I think games will Games and neural networks are going to blend together very nicely to create more and more realistic scenes. I like it's that. just going to be a trend. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. And then there'll be third party middleware that does all this. And I mean, we've done that for a long time. There's been middleware to generate how grass works and how trees shape. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Download the building neural network. Yeah. yeah. Add buildings. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I love it. Well, look at that. Look how nerdy we got with metal. You like it? 
<laughs> I love it. I uh, thank you for letting me do an iOS episode. I know we have a lot of Android people out there. Hopefully we kept it a little bit interesting. But thank you for letting me nerd out. These were two fun topics for me. Yeah, two in a row. You know, not only did we get nerdy with some shortcuts, but now we got really low level, low level metal APS. I've always wanted to talk about metal. And I think that's why when you it was on our list to chat about. I was like, oh, I'm in for a metal episode because I literally know nothing about it. And that's kind of my favorite, <laughs> favorite sessions where Frank knows the stuff and I don't. So, uh, come on. You know, it was on that list. I'm like, James will never let me do this. <laughs> <laughs> so I was so, so surprised. <laughs> well, I will say, Frank, thank you for informing me and some of our listeners. Hopefully, if you're using the metal APIs, let us know what you're using them for. If you're using them in your games or machine learning stuff or been messing around with any of the new stuff, let us know. You can go to mergeconflict.fm. There's a contact button and you can write in to the show and we read all of those and we take those into our lightning talks, which are upcoming pretty soon where you can submit any topic you want us to talk about. Uh, you can, of course, tweet at us at mergeconflict.fm, at James Montemagno, at Proclarum. Uh, you can rate, subscribe, review all the things. Uh, if you're using Overcast, we would challenge you to use that share button while you're listening to this podcast right now and share it with all of your friends. Marco, Ding, the Marco Bell over here um, and his wonderful Overcast application. When you do that, he actually ranks the shows based on the number of shares of each episode. Mm. You can also hit the star button if you don't use, um, you know, if you don't want to share it with the media. You can also then recommend it to your friends that use Overcast. So do that, too. And of course, uh, that's about it. I don't know. Just you know, continue to share it with your friends. We love the support. We love our Patreon subscribers and the Discord and all the fun things. So I think that's going to do it, Frank. So until next time, this has been another Merge Conflict. I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. Peace.